The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. For some in our church who have served as missionaries, they understand that struggle. Father, we give it to you. Thank you so much. And Lord, as we, as we go to this sermon, we lift up that this question that's been asked, even if it's a straightforward, easy answer, would remind us once again of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Father, we love you so much. We ask this all today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in um, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. And we're actually going to be starting in verse 1. And um, if you go ahead and turn there, I'm going to frame this question and we'll read our scripture. But the, we're going to be doing the next two to three weeks, um, basically the, the, this week, December 5th and December 12th, we're going to wrap up the Ask the Pastor series. We felt it necessary uh, to, to finish these even during the uh, Christmas season when we usually do more Christmassy, if you will, type sermons, because these are questions you've asked. And uh, December 19th, Pastor Nelson, if I understand correctly, is preparing more of a Christmas-focused message. And of course, on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, we will be having a, a remembrance of, of in song. Uh, we'll have several of our um, singers and praise team leading us in some worship through song and a short devotional to uh, last about an hour on Christmas Eve. All that said, I uh, bought you some time there to turn there. If you're able to stand with us this morning, we stand in honor of God's Word as we reread Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. The sermon title today is, Ask the Pastors, Does Baptism Save Us? Does Baptism Save Us? This is Paul. We're, half, <laughs> we're six chapters in, a very detailed book, but he's been arguing that we are dead to sin we're alive to God, and this is what he says, Romans 6, 1 to 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized also into his death? Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, and we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one, speaking of Christ, who has died has been, or excuse me, one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if Christ, now verse eight, if if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Guys, this morning I want to give you an overview of baptism. I want to remind you what it is, what it isn't, and I want to apply these verses to our lives about what it is when the Bible speaks about salvation and baptism and how they work together. My goal, my aim, my prayer this week has been is that this would remind you of your baptism. This would shore you up against people who think that baptism plus Jesus equals salvation. And it would also remind you of what we have in Christ, our union with Christ. That's our prayer today. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get started this morning. Father, thank you once again 
for our time together. As we tackle this question, we thank you for this clear, straightforward answer from Paul and all throughout Scripture that we are saved only by your Son who died, buried, and rose again. Father, we pray for those who, who want to add anything to Jesus alone for getting to heaven. Father, may, may it never be. For Father, it's, 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 it's like oil and water. They just don't mix. And we thank you for that, Lord, because we know it is so true what Jonah said. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not baptism or a church or a person or, a, or an act. It's all Christ or nothing. Father, give us wisdom now. May this be an encouragement in these days ahead as we look towards the holiday season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, sometimes you have a picture like this where if, if, if you haven't been around for a while, and Amy will put this up, sometimes we run into a person we've not seen for a long while, and we hardly recognize them because they look entirely different. Uh, maybe they went on a diet, they lost a lot of weight, whatever it was, and we look and say, what happened to you? And maybe you look in the mirror at yourself and say, bro or sister, what happened to you? And you almost, you look like that koala if you're outside. Uh, there's a koala with uh, some green stuff in his mouth. It looks like it's about to fall out. The change is so different, though, you can't help but wonder what took place. And sometimes that's how you feel physically. But a similar spiritual change has happened as well. Uh, when you came to Christ, a dramatic thing happened. Uh, a very good thing happened. And some people will ask you, when you truly become a Christian, they'll say, hey, what happened to you? And the alteration should be that noticeable that in your conversations, in your conduct, something has changed. And this is why Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, it says, God said, I'll give them a heart, a new spirit, and I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. There comes a time where when we become a Christian that everything changes, but there's nothing more freeing, more satisfying and revolutionary to know that that change comes only by faith alone through Christ alone. For if we add anything to Christ, we lose Christ. And so when we ask this question, is baptism necessary for salvation? We are reminded that baptism is not necessary for a person to be saved, but it is necessary for a person to be obedient. In other words, baptism is not necessary for you to be a Christian, but it is necessary for you to be a, a, a faithful Christian is to be baptized. And I think we, Scripture would go as far as to say that if, if a person claims to be a Christian but continues to reject baptism, then we would say nothing has really changed in their lives. They're just that same old person outside of Christ. So this morning, how do we know that baptism doesn't save us? And how does our union with Christ affect that view? And what are some takeaways? What are some practical things we can take away about this to apply to our church and our lives? We'll look at that this morning. Big idea today, and Amy will put this up, the big idea is simply this, is that baptism is not a condition of salvation, but vital evidence of salvation. You know, in preparation for this, I had to write this sentence out because I, I needed to be reminded of this. Some of you, it's been 50 years, 60, even 70 years. Some of you, it's been a few months. Timothy, who's here today, young Timothy, who got baptized about this time last year, it's been about a year since he got baptized. But I think we would do better if we more seriously, frequently, and joyfully reflected on our baptism. Because what unites us as Christians and holds us together is the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the waters of baptism. It's what Matthew 28 says. 
Yet being a good person, going to church, asking Jesus into your life, and getting dunked in a pool does not make you any more a Christian than anything else. But if you're truly a Christian, you'll want to be baptized. And that's what we want to look at this morning. But before we get there, before we get to the main thrust of Romans 6, I want to, I want to just go with you through the seven, and this is not, on, if you have a bulletin with you, we usually put an outline. I did not put this back there. But if you want to take notes, we'll also put this online. I want to remind you about the seven baptisms in the Bible. Some of you may not have heard this before. Some of you have, but I want to remind you what the Bible says. Big 50,000-foot view here about what the Bible says about baptism. There are at least seven types of baptisms in the Bible. Did you know that? Seven. Why is it? Everything seems to be in sevens in the Bible in the good way, right? But here's the first one, the baptism of Moses. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3, Paul wrote that the, that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in a cloud and in the sea. He was making the argument that when the people of Israel entered the promised land, they walked under, as it were, the, the, the waters, and they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, and they were being baptized as a nation into the promises of God. There's also the baptism of John, and this trips a lot of us up. The baptism of John in Mark 1.4 is that John was baptizing people, and he would have them come and repent of their sins in preparation for the coming Messiah. Do you remember that? When John would baptize loads of people, John was not performing a baptism in the sense that we know it, but he was preparing. It was like a, a, a symbolic preparation for the coming of Jesus. And the question always is, well, did the people who were baptized by John have to get rebaptized? later on? And the answer is yes. In Acts 18 and in verse 9, in the chapter 19, we meet some people who only were baptized by John. And Paul tells them, no, you need to be baptized fully. You need to be dunked under the water because this is the complete message of Christ now. The third baptism was the baptism of Christ. You know this well. Jesus comes to John and John almost refuses to baptize him. But Jesus is gets baptized to identify with humanity. And in this baptism, Jesus had no sins to repent of. He was a sinless Savior, amen? He never committed a sin. But in this baptism, Jesus puts his stamp of approval on John's ministry. And as Jesus comes up from the water, you remember this, the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on them like a dove. The fourth type of baptism, also John, John had a lot of these. In Matthew 3, John prophesied about uh, a baptism with fire. Now, this is not like some Hollywood movie where John's going to like baptize them and all the water becomes fire. That's, that's Hollywood. But this speaks of uh, Jesus judging the world for its sin, that he was going to come and bring conviction and judgment on to the world. The fifth one, and this is the one we're going to focus on today, so note this, the one that is really important is that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. This isn't Pentecostalism. This isn't some wayward theology. We believe this is a spiritual baptism. That at salvation, when you turn to Christ, you were immersed in the Holy Spirit. He indwelt you, he filled you, and he made you part of the body of Christ. That's what Romans 6 is talking about. There's also the baptism on the cross. Jesus said in Mark 10, he told the disciples, he said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? What he's speaking of here is that the disciples were not going to suffer the same death on the cross that he was going to do. 
And then probably the one you know the most, especially as Baptists, is in Matthew 28, 19. Can you say that with me? Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that when we baptize someone, that we are symbolically uh, taking them, and before they go into the water, it's like their old life has passed away. When they're down in the water, it's like they've been buried with Christ, and when they raise back up, they're, they're, they're walking in newness of life. But I want you to know, not one of those passages speaks of any water saving you. Not one. And that is where we see it. But I do want to show you, and I know this is all preparatory, but, and you're not, in a, you're not in a need to write all these down, but Amy's going to put up the next slide. There are some sincere, some very sincere denominations. There are some very sincere people who do believe that the Bible says that baptism saves them. I'm going to read through phrases from each of these verses, not the whole verse, just phrases. And I want you to catch where they think this comes from, okay? So Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 3.21, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Mark 16.16, Jesus speaking, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Galatians 3.27, it says, For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. Acts 22.16, be baptized and wash your sins away. I'm going to skip Romans 6, who will be there. We'll go to John 3.5, Jesus and Nicodemus. They are uh, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Titus 3.5, you are sa he saved us through the washing of of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 8.36, this is uh, uh, Philip and the eunuch. Uh, the eunuch says to him, what can stand in my way of being baptized? Now, friends, if you were to read these on the surface level and you were to go up to a sincere person and ask them, do you really believe the, that baptism saves you? They would go back to these verses. But I want you to know that just because the, the phrase is linked so close together does not mean that, it say, that baptism saves you. Think of the ultimate example. When Jesus was on the cross, he had two thieves beside him, did he not? One thief got mad at him, and the other thief uh, basically stood up for Jesus and believed in Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me where? In paradise. He was never baptized. He, was, he never walked an aisle. He never prayed a prayer. He never whatever hoops we jump through. He simply believed by faith alone. And Amy will put up this next slide too. There's hundreds of verses I could have picked. Hundreds of verses that show what this verse is going to say. But if there's one verse, perhaps of all of them, that cuts this argument down is this. Baptism does not save you. Look at what Romans 5.1 says. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How, what, what does this mean? It means that when you're justified, it means you've been set apart, declared holy and righteous through what? Through baptism? No. Through church attendance? No. Through good works? No. Being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just because verses seem to say one thing does not mean they're intending what you think they are saying. 
And actually, there are some principles. This is where your outline starts. And Amy, if you want to go to the next slide, this is where the, the principles come up for us. Look, the Bible, and this is on the back of your bulletin if you have one, if you want to fill in the blanks. The Bible does not contradict. I want to remind you of that. There are times where the Bible is hard to read. There's passages that may seem very difficult, and there are difficult passages. There are passages where, where uh, good theologians, pastors, lay people, whatever, on, on both sides of the aisle uh, may disagree on the finer implications of things. But all in all, the Bible does not contradict. The Bible does not, um, God does not speak out of both sides of his mouth. You know, sometimes we do that. Uh, parents, you know this. You 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 promise something at one point, and then you forget about it. And then eight hours later, your kid comes to remind you, and you're kind of caught in a trap. Well, do I tell them that I said it, or do I say I didn't? You know, you, you can't do that. God does not speak out of both sides of His mouth. The Bible is true. It's inspired and errant and authoritative. So if it says that baptism saves one place, and it says that we're justified by faith another, which one wins out? Well, it wins out because faith alone saves us. That's what we know. Baptism is, is, is something you do after you're saved, not to get saved. So here's just another principle for you. When you are in doubt, let clear Scripture interpret not so clear Scripture. What I mean by that is you may have a random verse like the verses I read to you a couple minutes ago, verses people use to say baptism saves. But you need to look at the Bible in a larger context and look at the whole if, if we believe the Bible doesn't contradict, then we have to put those verses in proper place. And why does this matter to you? Because I bet you there are some people somewhere, maybe even who've walked the aisles of Tower View Baptist Church, who got baptized, who checked the life box, ooh, I did that thing, my bucket list thing, that somewhere are trusting on the day they die that their baptism will save them when they get to heaven. And may I remind you what we read last week, that Jesus will say to them, uh, that many people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, I've cast out demons in your name. I've done all these great uh, church-like things in your name. And Jesus will say to them, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. So it is important we get this right. Baptism does not save you. Christ saves you. But Christ says to follow him, we do so through baptism. Okay? Those are the principles out of the way. So I want you to go back if you got your Bible, open it back up. If you haven't already, let's get back to Romans 6. I want to teach you about, remind you of this morning, the seven changes, and Amy will put that slide up, the seven changes that happen at conversion. The seven changes that happen at conversion when you became a Christian. Remember, baptism does not save you. We listed seven of them, but there was one we mentioned, uh, I believe it's number four or five, the spirit baptism. When you got saved, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, not with physical water, but spiritually in the deepest recesses of your soul. And I want to unpack what that is based on Romans 6, especially verses 2 through 7. All right, we will go through these in a timely manner, I promise. But the first one I want you to see, if you go back to Romans 6, 2, if you're there, Romans 6, 2, it says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Look, if you're a Christian this morning, if you know Christ, then you are called to flee from sin. Every Christian has died to sin. Paul put the sentence in the form of a question, but he's really making a statement. He's saying, we died to sin. And the we here refers to all believers of all time that have ever lived in this life. We have died to sin. Believers, 
Christian, if you're a Christian, you have died to sin because the Spirit baptized you on the inside. He spiritually remade you and converted you, to use the big word. Look, this is not teaching perfectionism, that you can reach a state where you never sin again. Only Christ never sinned. Let's not forget that. It, it, look, before conversion, you could do nothing but pursue sin. That's all you wanted here. But Paul reasons, and Amy will put this up, Paul reasons that if you died to the reign of sin, you cannot continue to live in it. How do you know if you've truly come to Christ? It, it means that you, you don't want to live in sin. You're going to mess up. You're going to make choices or say things or, or dream or plan or scheme things. But to live in sin is to make it a lifestyle. But when the Spirit baptized you, your living for sin became completely impossible to the point at which He will pull you back before you make that a lifestyle choice habit. There are some things in our lives we will always struggle with. But friends, I want to remind you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the capability to live for Christ. That's the first thing. We've been spirit baptized that we died to the reign of sin. We died to the reign of sin. Second thing is this. Look at verse 3, Romans 6, 3. Biblical baptism here. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death. So we're going to split this up over two points. But first, you were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into Christ. Look, if you're a believer, you were placed in Christ Jesus at some point in the past. Because the, he basically says, do you not know? He's basically saying, guys, this is basic knowledge. If you're in Christ, you knew this. You already understand this. But I want you to know there is not a drop of water, and you'll see this on the screen, there's not a drop of water in this passage. Paul does not say the Missouri River or the, uh, whatever uh, rivers were floating around his day. It does not say that. You are in Christ because the Spirit has made you part of Christ. We became one with Christ because we were baptized into his death. And to be baptized into Christ means that we've been placed in close union with him. You notice that phrase there, in Christ Jesus. You weren't baptized into a church. That's another topic. You weren't baptized into a family. Yes, the family of God, but, but you weren't into your last name or anything. We, Paul says, that we were immersed into Jesus Christ. We are being transferred from Adam, the, our father of sin, into the perfect Adam, who is Christ. And by the grace of God... We were taken back, and, and we were brought into Christ. I mean, Paul writes about being in Christ in other places. He says in other places that we've been chosen in Christ. We've been predestined in Christ, redeemed in Christ, forgiven in Christ, made alive in Christ, and enthroned with Christ. Look, every believer is in Christ, and Christ is in every believer through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Amy will put this up, that spirit baptism is up. Spirit baptism is when every believer is placed in Christ. Now, Christian, I want you to know this is important for you because there are times when you will experience more of his peace and joy than at other times. If you've ever read through the Psalms, if you've ever lived life, you know there are days you feel closer to Christ and there are days that you don't. But at the end of it all, the reality is Christ is in us with the fullness of his being. We have all of Christ, we have all the Spirit, we have all the Father's love that we will ever need or have. 
There are some good Christians who believe that you, uh, it, it's like a video game. If I'm um, speaking to a, a, there's not a lot of gamers in our church, but just bear with me. In, in video games, you have health, and you might fight another character, and your health goes down. You got to power up again, kind of like Mario or something like that. But there are some people who believe that when you're a Christian, that that if you're having a bad day, the spirit like leaves you half empty. And if you sin, you're down to a quarter tank or something like that. No. When you were baptized into Christ, you received the fullness of Christ. And that is what the baptism of the Spirit is, is that he makes his fullness available to us. So if you're struggling today to, to be close to Christ, know he's never left you. He's never going to forsake you. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over you. What a God we serve. You were also, number three, you were baptized into his death. Number three, you were baptized into his death. What this means is, is that when Jesus died, his death became our death. This is to say we died to our old life once and for all. And what this means is, is that we now have no binding obligation to obey sin. When we've been baptized by the Spirit, when we've been saved and rooted in Christ, as a believer, we're going to continue to sin, but we're no longer controlled by it. We, when Jesus died, we were baptized into his death. We have died to our old life once and for all. And Christian, that should be a great encouragement to you because his death was a real thing. It wasn't a, a figurative death, but a real physical death. And in the same manner, you and I died a real death with him. And we know we are under a new master with whom we died. We identify with Christ. Church, I want to speak a word to our church for a moment. Paul reminded us in Corinthians that we are the aroma of death to some and the fragrance of life to others. That as we live for Christ and we identify our lives and our church with Christ, that some in our, our culture will say, you know, two thumbs up, way to go, stand for Jesus. But most people will put two thumbs down and say, you stink, you smell like death. I don't want anything to do with that Jesus thing. But Paul reminds us here that if we're really in Christ, baptized by the Spirit, saved in Him, we're baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. Number four, look at verse four. It says here, go back to verse four. It says, we were buried, therefore, notice that therefore, remember when you study the Bible, you always ask, why is the therefore? What's it therefore? We were buried, buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of of life. So why does Paul stress the burial of Jesus? I mean, the, the, look, the fact that Jesus was placed in a grave guarantees he actually died. You know, there are some out there, it's not an Easter sermon, but you remind yourself, there are some out there who think that Jesus simply passed out on the cross. He didn't actually die. He fell asleep and they put him in a tomb and he woke up and kind of resuscitated himself. And, and, and this is a reminder to us that the burial was a real thing. That was prophesied for Christ to be buried and die for us. And what he is saying to us is that when we believed in Christ, that means we too experienced a real death. It wasn't a physical death. We all die. Our number will come at some point. Our, our days are numbered, the psalmist said. But we died a spiritual one because we were in Christ. And when he was buried, we were buried with him, spiritually speaking. Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians 2, 2.12, he says that we've been buried with him in baptism. This is the one reason why water baptism should be by immersion. Uh, my best friend sprinkles babies and, and does that thing, but we agree on this, is that baptism 
should be done by immersion. In other words, um, uh, my kids, are, we actually just went through this with our kids the other day on Wednesday, and we watched a little kid's show, or a little kid's theology show that talked about, the, the guy on there said, well, the baptism's like when you're at the pool and your buddy dunks, you know, he jumps up behind you and dunks you in the water really fast. Is, is that what the pastor's going to do to me? No, it's not what the pastor does. But we do believe that baptism is best known by going under the water because that's what we see in Scripture. And when we were placed in the water, it best portrays our burial with Christ, that when we come back up, we are now leaving the old life and walking in the new. So what else does spirit baptism mean and why this is important is that you were resurrected. Number five, you were resurrected with Jesus. You were resurrected with Jesus. And friends, I want you to get this. You've been buried with him. You've died with him. You've been baptized into him. But look at, verse, look at the end of verse four and end of verse five. He says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Look, it was the glorious power of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together. Who raised Jesus up? The Father. Jesus said, you lay, he says, I lay my life down. I have the authority to take it up and, and to lay it down again. And we also know the Spirit, the Trinity, was at work in the resurrection of Christ. The power of God is far greater than any power of sin and death. But when, when we were saved, when we were brought into Christ, we have also been baptized into his resurrection. What this means is, is that we have been spiritually raised from the grave to live a new life with a new walk. Look, you have newness of life. You have newness of life. What this means is, is that at one point in time, at one point in time, there has been a change in your life. Christian, are you walking with that change? We will certainly still stumble, we'll fall. We will commit individual acts of sin. We are not under the old master. I want to remind you of that. It's no longer mandatory that we sin anymore. We are now living under a new master, under Christ Jesus. And Christian, can I ask you today, when you got baptized, when you came to Christ, are you still as on fire, as focused, as determined, as, as ready to go for your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you were back whenever that was? Look, we have received a completely new life. In fact, it's actually the life of Jesus himself being lived in us through the power of the Spirit. We have been spiritually raised from the grave to walk in a new walk. And Christian, Romans 7, if you read it later today, is going to tell you we're going to struggle with temptation. We're going to struggle with fighting uh, the schemes of the devil. We're going to find ourselves in spiritual warfare. We're going to have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And this is an ongoing thing. Before we were saved, we didn't want to fight sin. But now that we are saved, we want to fight it. We're no longer floating down a stream like a dead fish through the system of this world. We were part of the old system, but now we've been identified with a risen Christ. And I want you to know this. If, if you know, Some of you are getting to that stage of life where you're really thinking about your death. And I would encourage you at times, as morbid as this sounds, to think about your death. But friends, I want to remind you what verse 4 and 5 says here is that you will be resurrected too. That new body's coming, that, that body free of sin and, and sorrow and, and all the things of this world is coming to you. Why? Because you've been baptized through the Spirit into Christ. You've been saved. You've been converted or regenerated, whatever word you want to throw at it. Number six, you were also crucified with Christ. 
you were also crucified with Christ. Our union with Christ means that we are crucified with him. We've been baptized into his death. We've been united with him, verse 5, in the likeness of his death. But now Paul says in verse 6 that we have been crucified with Christ. I mean, this is pretty dramatic, isn't it? I mean, when Paul writes, he says again that phrase, you might have it there. He says, we know that our old self, verse 6. We know that. Paul doesn't need to tell them this. They already know this. No means something they already should grasp. And what he's saying is, we know with certainty that this relationship with Christ is true. We know our old self has been crucified. As believers, we were not there the day Jesus died. But when we came to Christ, we know that everything that once was about us has been nailed to that cross. It's almost, if you were, like, like we were there but not there, that we identify with Christ because he has identified with us. And he uses that phrase, a body of sin. This certainly doesn't mean that our physical body is, uh, does not mean that our physical body is sinful necessarily, though it is. What it's saying is, is that every part about us, our total depravity, everything about us is filled with sin, but that we might be brought and no longer be enslaved to it. May I remind you in Romans 3 that Paul said that our tongues deceive, our lips are venomous, our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, and our wayward feet are swift to shed blood, and our prideful eyes have no fear of God outside of Christ. But I also want you to know from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, sin held us in its deadly grip and we obeyed it. But because we were crucified with Jesus, all this has been done away with. Christian, as you walk in this life, baptized into the Spirit, sin still has power to raise its ugly head, but it has no mastery over you. Why? Last one. This is why. Look back at verse 7. Did you catch this? You were freed from your sin. If you've been baptized in the Spirit and saved truly, you have been freed from your sin. Look at verse 7. We'll close here. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You have been set free from sin. You were subjected to the slavery of sin. You once obeyed all that sin asked you to do, but now you've been freed from it. We are no longer slaves to sin, the book of Romans argues. We are, we are now slaves to Christ. That's Romans 8. Everyone is a slave to something. Last night, Alabama fans were slaves to their TV as, as they about watched Auburn whoop them in four uh, overtimes, as it were. And Lane about lost his game last night. His Arkansas Razorbacks beat our Missouri Tigers, and you can dogpile him afterwards for that, but that's another topic for another time. Every one of us is a slave to something. We are either a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus Christ. Either way, no one is with, without being obligated to obey his master. Isn't this why Jesus said you can't serve two masters? You either love the one or what? Hate the other. So Paul says, for he who has died is free from sin. In our spiritual death with Christ, we died to the power of sin. And the idea here is that everyone who's been justified, who's been set apart and saved, is now being sanctified by the Spirit, being made like Christ. And we should know with certainty that we are saved. 
And Christian, this is why it's so different. When someone comes to you and says, the water that you fill that baptistry with saves you, you can now go to them and say, that has nothing to do with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. Christian, you have been freed from sin because Christ died. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you couldn't die. He was buried, and he physically, literally, bodily busted out of that grave that you might be free from sin. You are not what the world says you are. If Satan were to come to you and say, you're no longer a Christian because you sinned, you could say, well, I, I, I shouldn't be a Christian because I sinned, but God in Christ. That's what we have. When all the world throws all its junk at us, may we remember that we have been freed from our sin. And what praise that should bring to our lives this holiday season, every season. We should never stop praising God for our enduring old life being gone and being raised up with Christ. Our old man is dead and buried, and we are now a new person with a brand new life. Look, if you are struggling with sin right now, maybe no one but you and God know anything about it. It could be images on a screen. It could be hate for someone else. It could be, uh, you know, just a habit you have that, that may not be, whatever it is, if you're struggling with sin, may I remind you what Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations, and you know it well, his mercies are new every day. God is not up in heaven saying, tisk, tisk, tisk. God isn't crossing his arms at you. God isn't looking at you with a furrowed brow. He doesn't have that mom or dad look or husbands, that, that look that your wife or, or guys, if you have a girlfriend or a fiance, that look that you, you know, you just know that look, right? God doesn't do that to us. When he looks at us now, being freed from sin, unified with him, he looks at us and says, my child, you've been forgiven of all your sin. But may I remind you this, that Paul says, look back at Romans 6.1. He says, what shall we they say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? By no means. If you're a Christian, you're freed from sin, but you're called to walk with your master, Jesus Christ. Does baptism save you? No, it doesn't. But by the Spirit's supernatural baptism, spiritual baptism of your heart, you've been saved to walk in a life that all those outside of Christ need to experience. We pray with me this morning. Thank you for your attention. I know it's a lot of info. I pray something out of that has been a blessing to you. But let's go before our Lord. We'll have the praise team come up afterwards, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that, that bapt baptism is not a is not how we are saved. Father, we know very clearly that baptism is not a condition of salvation, but a vital evidence of it. So, Father, I thank you, even briefly this morning, that we can remind ourselves of what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for the sincere question. I have no idea who asked this question. It doesn't matter, but this is something they've been talking to, it seems, from the, the note with one of their neighbors, with someone in their life that has been very close uh, to having this discussion. Father, we thank you for Romans 5.1, that we are justified by faith and, and we have peace with you. We thank you for Romans 8.1 that tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have saved us not because of us or anything we did, but all by your grace. It is a gift. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this last song, would you encourage our hearts? Thank you for the sweet church. Father, we continue to pray again for those who aren't with us today. Uh, uh, who are sick. We know we have a number out traveling this, this weekend at the holiday, but we thank you once again. We love you so much, Lord, and pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said.
Amen.